Okay, welcome everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad to see each one of you here and those of you online. We're in a, a series about emotions, and today's is an uncomfortable one. <laughs> today's emotion is discomfort, and that'll make hopefully make sense a little bit more in a few minutes. Um, so I want to start with a question. Do you wait for people to ask before you offer your help. Now, I don't know about you, but it depends on the situation. Uh, for example, my wife was in the grocery store this week. She said this lady couldn't read something, and she didn't wait for the lady to ask her, can you reach this for me? She got, reached, reached for it and got it and, and gave it to the lady, and the lady thanked her. So she didn't wait. I was um, running yesterday morning. I run on the Appalachian Trail, and I live close to the Washington Monument. So I walk up to the Mashiach Monument, then I run on the trail, and I was coming back. I was actually in the upper parking lot, if you're familiar with that, and two cars pulled in about the time I got there. One of them went left and one went right. Uh, two couples jumped out of their cars, and the male from driver from this car and the male driver from this car started talking. They said, well, you know, what are we going to do, where are we going to go, or whatever. So I'm walking by at this, this minute. So... Normally, I probably wouldn't have said anything, but I know the trail pretty well. And so I said, can I help you? And they said, well, we want to go to Annapolis Rock or Black Rock. I said, yeah, it's this way. One is five and a half miles. One is six miles. I've run it, run it many times. And they, they thanked me. Uh, but when it becomes something uh, a little more personal, when you see somebody struggling with this or that in their lives, do you wait to ask? Do they ask for help, or do you offer your help? So that's kind of where we're going, trying to answer that question this morning. In this series, we're talking about how to say no to the emotions that seek to control you, whether it's guilt or envy or talked about anger last week. Um, we do a pretty good job of monitoring them outwardly. We might feel them inside and control them outwardly, well, some of the time. Sometimes better than others. But Jesus said there's a better way to do this. You should monitor, he's going to use the word heart. Monitor your heart, and then consequently, it will monitor or control uh, your behavior. <clears throat> now, let me ask you a question. How many of you like to be told what to do? Those of you present, I can't see the people online. Anybody? That's interesting. Nobody likes to be told what to do. All right, so. With that in mind, we're going to read what Jesus said. Uh, we read, we've been reading this each week. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. We all experience that every day, right? But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. That's what gets you into trouble. That's what gets you in trouble with other people. That's what gets you in trouble with God. So he gives a little more detail. He says, from the heart comes evil thoughts. So in our Thinking, we're thinking mind, right? That's where thoughts come from. So from the heart or mind come evil thoughts. And he gives us a list. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander, greed, wickedness, envy, pride, and foolishness. And that's not an all-exhaustive list, is it? He said, these, these are the problem. These are the issue. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So let me ask you another question. 
When you love someone, does it always feel loving? And the easiest way for me to illustrate this, if you're a parent, talk to you, and we've all had parents, haven't we? So parents, have you ever, depending on the age of your children, have you ever done something that your kids responded, I hate you? Now, hopefully not, but most of us have probably experienced that. Now, they probably don't really mean it, but in that moment, that's what they're feeling. And what they're responding to is usually an act of love of yours, right? An act of discipline, which is an act of love, it should be. And uh, I can remember, <laughs> and we've all had parents, being so mad at my parents one time. I didn't say it out loud, I don't think. And I don't remember what they did, but I felt like hating them. And so this is kind of a pretty common experience, I think, for us. That love doesn't always feel loving, does it? So that's going to play into what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, who likes confrontation? Who likes confrontation? No hands again. Boy, these questions aren't very good, or they're one-sided, I guess. <laughs> okay, none, I don't, most of us don't like confrontation. It's... Uh, difficult, it's hard, and often it results in something unpleasant or negative, right? So consequently, many of us, and I'm going to use a word here, err on the side of indifference. Now, none of us would admit that, would we? Well, I, I don't care what happens to them. I don't care what happens to their marriage. I don't care what happens to their, their parent-child relationship. I don't care what happens to their health. None of us would admit that, but because of the discomfort confrontation causes, we fall into technically the realm of indifference. <clears throat> so, do we want discomfort to control us, to dictate, to decide what we're going to do and not do, especially when it comes to situations that may be uh, confrontation. <clears throat> so I got to thinking about this. Do all the words of Jesus in the Bible, or you should say all the words in the Bible, do they make you comfortable? I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies and, and be kind to those who despitefully use you. Does that make you comfortable? It doesn't make me comfortable. And that's just one example. So, that's not a good judge of what we should or shouldn't do. Sometimes it's going to not feel good. So, I'm going to read you something. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. It's not going to make you feel good. All right? So, here it is. Something Jesus said. Don't throw stones at me. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Now, everybody does that all the time, right? Nobody's shaking their head. We don't do that. But Jesus told us to do that. Why don't we do that? Because it's uncomfortable, right? But I think we're going to see that sometimes that's the right thing to do. That's the loving thing to do. That's why Jesus told us to do this. Now, I want to back up and give you the context because that's kind of tough to take right off the bat, right? So let's go back and read the context, and it'll make more sense, and I think it'll be a little easier to swallow, we might say, when we get there. 
So this is Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him a question. They were always asking him questions, and it made sense. Jesus is a really smart, wise person. I'm going to ask him a question. But this wasn't really about wisdom. He said, they asked him, who is the greatest in the, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, is he talking about up there in heaven, heaven? No, they weren't asking about that heaven. They were talking about Jesus' kingdom. He said he was going to set up his kingdom here on earth. Now, he thought it was an earthly kingdom. <laughs> uh, we know better now. But they thought it was an earthly kingdom. So, who do you think they were wanting to hear as the answer to the question? Well, you guys, of course. You're my buds. You're my right-hand men. You're the ones who've been hanging out with me for three years. Um, you guys are going to be, the after me, the greatest in this kingdom. So they were really inter more interested in status and power than they were in service, even though Jesus said, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. But they kind of forgot that part. Sometimes we forget that part. So Jesus sometimes answered questions, sometimes he didn't. So he gives a, kind of an unusual response to this question. He says, he calls a little child. None of the children are in, in, in here right now. But say uh, we saw a bunch of uh, little children yesterday at Cody's graduation party, and it was just hilarious watching him. But anyway, a little child, you know, three or four-year-old child, he maybe has permission of the parent or whatever, and has, maybe has, puts a child on his lap. Now, remember the question, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, hey, bring this child up here. So, he goes on. I assure you, he's talking to disciples, and most solemnly say or swear to you, unless you, again, he's talking to disciples, his small group, unless you repent, and this translation gives you the meaning of that, that is change your mind. We talked about, my wife talked about changing, changing the other. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, live changed lives. Unless you do that, unless you repent, by change it means turn from evil things or bad things to good things. And it says, become like little children. So you're not like little children, but you need to be like little children, like this child on my lap. What does that mean? Trusting, humble, and forgiving. I got to thinking about that. Isn't it amazing, kids? They could be fighting one minute and the next minute hugging each other, right? Uh, forgiveness comes easy. Not so much for us, but for them it does. He says, unless you do that, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty tough, right? But the next thing even is a more uncomfortable, if you will. Again, these are Jesus' words. <laughs> Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, let me stop there and sin. All right, so is he still talking about the two or three-year-old? Well, two or three-year-olds, most of them don't believe. So what I believe he's talking about here is new believers. We call them babes in Christ or, or uh, being born again. So I think he's shifting the emphasis here to anyone who believes in me to stumble and sin by leading him away from my teaching. So go away from following me to not following me. If you're part of that, if you participate in that, it would be better for you and he uses an extreme illustration, <laughs> to have a heavy millstone as large as one turned by a donkey hung around your neck 
and, and you've thrown it around into the depth of the sea. Pretty strong language, right? Extreme, extreme <laughs> illustration. Because this is an extreme point because it's an extreme, extreme issue. So then he kind of shifts gears a little bit. And he says this. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? We all understand temptation, right? He said temptation's un in in inevitable, okay? Now, some temptation, we just are the our own source. It's our, we're the source of our own temptation, correct? Nobody else had anything to do with it. But sometimes other people lead us astray, so to speak. So he said, if you're one of those that leads somebody astray, sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Think about it this way. Are you the source of anybody's regret? So is there anybody out there that said, oh, I wish I never met that person. I wish I never married that person. I wish uh, uh, I never had to work with that person. I wish I never had to go to church with that person. I wish, you know, I never took their phone number. I wish I never called their phone number. I wish I never went with them here or there. All right, the list is pretty endless, obviously. Don't be somebody else's regret. <clears throat> so this is evidently huge to Jesus, correct? So, it seems like it should be pretty important to us, too. So then he uses another extreme illustration. You know, I've been preaching a long time. I don't think I would use an illustration like this, but... Jesus is smarter than me. <laughs> so if your hand or foot causes you to sin, so, hey, I shouldn't eat this, but my hand grabbed it. So, no, I cut my hand off, so I can't grab that or smoke it or ingest it or whatever it might be. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than be thrown into the eternal fire, both hands and feet. Oh, Jesus, what are you talking about? You really want us to do that? Now, I don't believe it was literal. There's been some sects in the history of the church that have done this. Uh, didn't last very long. Most people don't want to be a part of a sect like that, do you? But anyway, um, so what is he saying? I believe he's saying remove the temptation or remove yourself from the temptation. So if, if I've got something here that's tempting me, get rid of it. Throw it away. He's not finished. <laughs> he goes on. And if your eye causes you to sin, <clears throat> gouge it out. Again, gross, right? Throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than have two eyes be thrown into the fire of hell. Again, this is so radical. This is, must be a huge deal to Jesus. Now, why, why is this such a big deal to Jesus? The only thing I can think of is because you and I are a big deal. We're such a big deal that Jesus died for us, that's a pretty big deal. So I believe what he's saying to us, while you're still in control. Now we have a term, addiction. That's when you get to the place where you're out of, out of control. You, you can't not do it. He says, while you're still in control, before you get to that place, get rid of that temptation. Get it out of your life so you don't get to the place where you lose control. 
those who, and probably all of us experience some kind of addiction in our lives, right? It might be addiction to, to some TV show, whatever it might be. I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of serious addictions. If you can think about one that you might have, whether it's serious or not, don't you wish you could go back and not take that first drink or not take that first, smoke that first cigarette or not watch that first pornography uh, image on uh, pornography or I used chocolate in the first <laughs> sermon illustration. Never tasted that first taste of chocolate. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Um, but don't you wish you could? So Jesus is saying, okay, this is a big deal. This is really important. Temptation comes in your, into your life, no matter what the source, whether you're the source or somebody else is the source, you need to take it seriously. Before it gets control of you, you need to take control of it. Okay? I think most of us are fine with that. We understand that. We might not do it, but that, yeah, I kind of I get that. So then Jesus really shifts gears. He's talking about cutting body parts off. Now he shifts gears. Here's what he says. Actually, he asks a question. What do you think? So they asked Jesus a question, and Jesus talked about all this, and he said, okay, now, disciples, what do you think? And I got to thinking about it. I don't really think about Jesus asking me questions. Why would he ask me a question? He knows more than I do, plus he knows what I'm thinking. He wouldn't need to ask my question. So it's obviously for the purpose of those present to hear the response for the people. So here's an illustration that Jesus, or story Jesus used multiple times. In fact, if you're familiar with this illustration, it's probably not in this context, but another context, you remember it. So he says, a man owns a hundred sheep. Anybody here own any sheep? No? No shepherds? Okay. All right. So this is a weird illustration to us. None of us have ever done this. So if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, stumbles, falls, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go to look for the one who wandered off? So I don't know. Is that what you would do? Um, I'm sure if there was more than one shepherd, you would do that so that they would be protected. But in the illustration, Jesus said, yeah, he goes. And in this case, you've got two options. You find it or you don't find it. He says, if you find it, I tell you the truth. He, who? The shepherd will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander off. Okay, so none of us have sheep, so let me try and give you an illustration that might make sense to you, all right? I don't know how many credit cards you have in your wallet or purse, uh, but let me just use this illustration. You have five credit cards, all right? Five credit cards, and you lose one. Anybody ever lost a credit card? I've lost a credit card. Unpleasant, uncomfortable, right? And you start looking everywhere. You start calling people. If it's very long, you call the bank and put, a, you know, all, all that. So you look and look and, you know, you're looking at the house. You look in the car. And I've found one in the car before. It kind of fell in a, in, a, in a slot in the car. So when I find that card, what am I experiencing? <laughs> yes, great joy, right? And if I have that same joy about the other four that I still have in my wallet, I wasn't even thinking about them, right? Okay, so I don't know if this helps you understand, but when something is lost of value and you find it, it brings you great joy, 
much more joy than the ones that you never lost. <clears throat> so one way to think about this, when you and I have stumbled and fallen and come back to God, or somebody's helped us come back to God, God's more excited about us than, he, than the people that have been, been um, you know, ob pretty obedient all along. So, big thing to do is you may be caught in something. I encourage you to get out of it. Because God is, and we'll talk about this at the end, God is wanting you. He wanted you to come back. So, he says it. Literally, he says it next verse. In that same way is not your heavenly Father will that even one of these little ones should perish. And so, at this point, we're all great. Yeah, that's a great illustration, Jesus. Um, love that story. That's great. But Jesus said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> You're supposed to be part of going and getting the lost sheep. Oh, that makes it a little bit different. And that's the verse we started with, right? <laughs> if another believer sins or wanders off, you do what? Oh, I'm going to pray for them. Well, that's, that's fine. But that's not what Jesus says to do. He says, go privately and point out the offense. Ah, I don't want to do that. That's hard. That's, that's going to get ugly. It's going to get messy. I don't like messy. Now, I, got the, I study different translations when I, when I study, and, and there was a discrepancy in some of the translations. Some of them said another brother sins against you, like this one does. And some of them says if another brother sins. So which is it? So let me ask you a simple question. What is the best commentary on the Bible? The best commentary on something in the Bible is the Bible. <laughs> okay? And so I'm thinking about this, and so something came to mind. I've been reading the Bible for a long time, so some of these things pop in my mind. So Paul, later on, writes something about the same topic. We call it in Galatians. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, so it doesn't need to be against me. All right? If that's what Jesus meant there, the Bible teaches that it's, it's bigger than that. You who are godly or more spiritually mature or more in control should gently and humbly, that's really important, <laughs> gently and humbly, I know better than you, you know, I just don't happen to have this, this problem, this area that you're having, all right? Help that person back onto the right path. Bring them back. And you can rejoice, and they can rejoice, and God can rejoice. And he even gives us a warning. Be careful not to fall into the same, te same temptation yourself. Evidently, there's, <laughs> while helping somebody out of some temptation, it makes it difficult for you and I to resist. So again... <sighs> I, I don't know, that just, that's just uncomfortable. Well, notice what he says next, Paul writes next. Share each other's burdens. Well, I agree with that, right? Somebody else has got something too big to pick up, I help them pick them up. Well, this is you know, figuratively the same thing. But here's the important part. And in this way, in what way? Going and helping, pointing out to this person, this, this area, the weakness in their life, sin in their life. In this way, we obey the law of Christ. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, we're glad that you're watching or listening. Um, 
But as a Jesus follower, it's critical that you and I obey. <laughs> he, he is our Lord. He's our master. So this is an important way to be obedient. What is the law of Christ? Jesus summed it up this way. Love one another the same way I love you. Okay? So what is the loving thing to do in this situation? But it's so hard. So diff discomfort, this is uncomfortable, right? Discomfort is silent. As long as I remain there, it, it's, it's silent. I, I don't speak up. I don't, I don't go. Indifference is silent. But love, love cannot be silent. Oh, you know, it, it's none of my business. Um, they didn't ask for help. Uh, if they did, they, you know, if they wanted help, they would ask me. We come up with excuses, right? Just because it's uncomfortable. So, back to Jesus' words. <clears throat> Labor sins against you, go privately, point out the offense. If the other person listens, there's two options, right? They listen or don't listen. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. Everything's good, right? It's like the shepherd gets, gets that one lost sheep. You've done the loving thing. They've responded, all right? Yeah, you're right, brother, sister. I'm struggling in this area. Appreciate you offering your help. You know, you know come alongside me and help me work through this and get on the other side of this. This will be great. Again, whatever it's financial or, or interpersonal relationship or health issue or whatever it might be, Okay? Now, what do you think the odds are that that's the outcome? Practically. I've done this in my experiences. Guess what? Most of the time, that's not the response, is it? Unless you're much better at this than I am. Most of the time, that's not the response. So what is the response? Most of the time, they say, hey, that's none of your business, right? Leave me alone. Okay, so, oh, hi, Jesus, I did what you said. All finished, right? Jesus. If you're unsuccessful, goes on. Now you don't give up. The loving thing doesn't give up. Take one or two others with you, go back again. Everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, I believe it should be people that know them. You know, pick two people off the street and say, hey, I need somebody to go with me. Two people that care about this person, love this person, uh, wants them to, to have victory over this area. Again, who does this? <laughs> I, Jesus tells us to do it, and it's in the Bible. Some of us have been, in, you know, believers for me over 50 years. How often do I do this? Again, what's the majority response at this point? stage. Ah, now just because there's two or three of us, they say, oh yeah, you guys are right. No. Most of the time what? I can't believe you brought other people into this situation. Right? So, okay, Jesus, I did what you said. End of story, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> if the person still refuses, Jesus goes on. Take your case to the church. Now, did the church exist at this point? No, it didn't exist at this point. So, the word is ecclesia, which means the assembly. 
So in this case, it would be like the local synagogue, the little community. Everybody knows each other. Uh, probably know what's going on, all the gossip, right? <clears throat> so you find a small group. In our context, we wouldn't bring it to the whole church. It might be your, your small group that you're, you're uh, a part of. So you took two people from your group. The person didn't listen, so now the whole group, you bring the situation to them. <clears throat> then if they still won't listen, they won't accept the church's decision, all right? Again, this, unfortunately, this is the, the majority of the responses you get. Now, this last part, the church is kind of mis misinterpreted, I believe, sometimes. Treat the person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, the church has taken this as, uh, we'll just shun them. We'll just ignore them. We'll sometimes throw them out of the church. Okay. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He, he hung out with them more than he did the church people. He liked them more than he did the church people, hypocritical church people anyway, didn't he? So, what is he saying? Okay, stop thinking this person's going to think like you do. Stop thinking this person has the same uh, worldview that you do, that what Jesus says is most important. Obviously, they don't have that worldview. So, we treat them as somebody that has a different worldview than us. So, consequently, what do you do? Do you continue to love them? Yes, maybe you uh, love them even more. Now, again, does this usually go well? Does this usually heal a situation? Uh, more likely than not, you disrupt a relationship. You may even lose a relationship. I've seen this happen. So you and I need to decide what's more, what's more important to do what's uncomfortable, to be obedient, or to be, again, ultimately indifferent. So I came across the song. I asked uh, Jared about it. He said, uh, the band didn't like the music so much, but they loved the words, so I'm going to give you the words, okay? Here it is. Uh, There's no wall you won't kick down. Maybe you know the song. I, I didn't know the song. That's because the band doesn't do it. That's why I didn't know it, but anyway. There's no wall you won't kick down, speaking of Jesus, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I just love that phrase. Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, it fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, because I'm the one that's wandered off. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. We call that grace, right? Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So, do we want discomfort to control us? We're gonna, we want discomfort to dictate what we do and don't do. I got to think about this. Really, it's a cowardly thing, right? It's cowardly for me not to speak up when somebody is hurting and I at least offer my help even though they don't ask it or maybe they don't want it. The loving thing, the responsible thing to me to do is to, what do they call that? Society has a word for that. Um, when somebody's caught in addiction, a group of people get together, Intervention, yes. 
Yeah. Where did society get that from? They got it from Jesus. So, I usually like to give you something to think about, but before we get there, let me reiterate. Discomfort is silent. Indifference is silent. But love can't be silent. And aren't you glad, and I'm glad, that God never said, okay, your sin's none of my business. And let us all die in, in our sin. The love of God would not let him be indifferent. That's why he sent his only son, Jesus, to suffer and to die. He could not be silent. He would not be silent. He rose from the dead and gave you and I the opportunity to have renewed fellowship or relationship with God and Jesus. If you'd like to do that, enter into that relationship, please let us know. We'd love to help you make that decision or, or walk you through that decision. So here, give you something to think about. <clears throat> when you see someone struggling, common life experience, right? We all see people struggling. What keeps you from stepping up and helping? I'll let you wrestle that to the ground for yourself. So let me pray with you and let you go. <clears throat> ah, Jesus. We thank you that you gave us step by step what to do in these difficult situations. So now it's up to us to do it. And it's so uncomfortable. It's so hard. And it usually, unfortunately, maybe even rarely turns out well. So we have to decide, are we going to be obedient? Are we going to do what you say is the wise thing to do, the smart thing to do, the loving thing to do? Or are we going to be, in reality, unloving, just because it's uncomfortable? And God, I know, we, you know, it's none of your business. You're being so judgmental. I, we've all heard those responses. But we ha love has to go. Love has to speak up. Love has to try and help. So God, help us to know when and how and the best way to do that so that we can be obedient to you. And again, for anyone without a personal relationship with Jesus that is trying to do this on your own, I can't imagine trying to battle temptation and, and certainly addiction without the help of Jesus. He's, he, he, he's chasing you down. He's, he's got reckless love. He desires to be in a relationship with you. If you'll just Repent, which means change or turn. Turn to Him. He'll accept you just the way you are. You don't have to stop that, change anything. Just say yes to Jesus. Let Him enter your life and begin the process of change. So, Father God, we thank You that You care so deeply about us. You love us so much. Not only do You send Jesus to die for us, but You instruct our brothers and sisters to help us. Thank You, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.